As we get into it, make sure everybody's recording. That's the first rule in doing a podcast. Make sure everybody is recording because at the end of it, you go, oh, Woody, you forgot to hit record. Uh, Darren Millard back in the uh, saddle here, uh, along with Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Uh, it's actually me. It's uh, I've, I've uh, forgot to hit the record button. And David Hutchison has forgot to hit the record button uh, a couple of times. But Woody is the guy that we like to bug uh, so much. How was last week? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. But I, I was uh, longing for you guys. And uh, out of it, we get some great news uh, regarding uh, uh, the future and the, uh, I guess, completion of a Hall of Fame career in Henrik Lundqvist. I don't think anybody's surprised by this, but uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to reflect uh, on, on what happened, Hutch. I mean, this is a guy that is just uh, late round pick to Hall of Famer. That was like a Woody-esque intro you just did there, Darren. Thank you, you went through about seven different thoughts that I have to figure out which yeah. one I'm supposed to reply to. Do we go like with... Well, I, it was 14 days since I've talked to you, so I, I got, got a lot, a lot going of stuff. on up here. So last last week was awesome, but thank God you're in the driver's seat now because it was complete and utter confusion for Woody and me. Um, What, what else did I forget to, re- to respond to there? It's, just, it's so hard. I take notes with just, Woody. I'm never ready for you to take notes. Hank. Hank. Oh, Hank. oh, that guy in New York, Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. Oh, absolutely unbelievable. I think we're all just a little bit sad here now to see that go because uh I mean, what a what an incredible career. What a what a great innovator. Woody has um actually got a series of articles that we're rolling out over at Ingle where we're sort of looking back at his experiences with Hank over the years and uh the most recent one was uh, how he's inspired a generation of Swedish netminders. Uh there's one coming up on his innovations uh in equipment. Darren, what's the biggest innovation in equipment that we're all that we all have with us now dangler he did have a dangler but what ones he <laughs> every company's adopted this now it's not fair to put what you is on it? the spot is it what is it uh well hold on it's we need like some name jeopardy to... jeopardy music in the background here come on I know, i'm out thinking fair, myself here now now i'm panicking I'm and, and i'm out it, thinking myself it skates. literally has his name it's the lundquist oh the lundquist there loop. You yeah go. yeah yeah there we are I was thinking protection, but yeah, yeah, the Lundquist Loop. I actually was first at a, guy. What's that? Yeah, I was actually at a camp years ago. I might have told this story on here before because I've only got five stories, but I was at a camp years ago, probably almost a decade ago, and I saw a kid who'd actually made his own Lundquist Loop on a pair of skates. I did. Did you? Yep. That's all. Well, with skate laces, skate laces tied it in. Everything. It's. Uh, it was. It was. It worked. Well, he actually made the full-on tab. Just I like this, it was smart. impressive. I said, "Well, where did you learn about that?" He said, "Well, Henrik Lundqvist does it." I'm like, cool, great. Where did you learn about that? In Goal Magazine. So that would have been an article that Woody wrote. So uh, great job, Woody. But come on, bud, you're the one who spent all the time in the locker room with us. Uh, give us the download, Woody. Uh, you know it's funny. Um, I I'm trying to remember. Like, did we did we really have that first? Like, I don't want to turn this into a back padding session for us, but that whole. Like that loop and identifying it and writing a story on it because it's not you're, that's not the only time we've had somebody say like and this goes back quite a ways that they saw it there first like back in our old Page Turner magazine and you know, like to me that's one uh, the impact he had with the Bauer equipment like as remember when Odin was originally designed as sort of a breakout project for the company like see what you can do with um, new technologies kind of like a class group assignment to see what what if they went outside the box what the, could they come up with. 
the original plan was to try and deaden rebounds, and it was in testing with Hank when when the the new materials produced active rebounds. It was Lundquist that said, "No, no, this is good. I like this." Um, you know, so he kind of goes hand in hand uh, with that Bauer evolution, and look at how many companies have have been chasing that since. So I think equipment we've got that coming out. Um, the way he played, I think a lot of people in the first article touched on this. Um, a lot of people just assumed that Henrik came over with the style that we came to sort of associate with him here. The inside out, Benoit Lair, play deep, uh, goal line out approach. And that's not true. And um, obviously we talked to Alaire and Lundquist about this years and years ago. Like that was a that was a training camp adjustment. First training camp, first month of the season. He went from being a guy in Sweden and had massive success in Sweden playing out around and beyond the edge of his crease with a little backwards flow to a guy who is now synonymous with that Allaire style of goaltending and and took it to an extreme. And he was able to do that in one preseason, one sort of month of the season and be comfortable. And I'll never forget the quote from Benoit Allaire. We re-ran it in the first tribute. That's when he knew that Lundqvist would be great that early in the process because of how quickly he adopted a new concept and brought it into his game. Um, I think the comparison that he made uh, was Tiger Woods changing a swing. Like, the greats can do this. And uh, so um, we've been familiar with Hank since the early going. He's been good to us over the years. As annoying as I can be when guys visit Vancouver, he always made time, pulled us into the locker room to explain his grip on his stick. We have that video. Uh, in our pro gear section at Ingle, I think we ran it a year, year and a half ago, but members will remember that where he sort of explained why he had that um, th- that unique paddle grip at the top and the way he held it. Um, you know, just he was always just really, he was good with the media in general, but he's always really good to us. Answered emails earlier in his career, uh, gave us an email address. And, you know, frankly, as big as he got as a superstar, um, would still sort of respond, didn't send them very often in the latter years, but would still respond. So uh, just a ton of uh, respect for him as a competitor. I think my favorite Lundquist story, though, was that last practice in Vancouver 2019, last trip mm. through where he was playing. Uh, they played the night before in Edmonton. He didn't start, but a heavily optional skate the next morning. I mean, like seven or eight guys out. And of course, he was one of them. First. First one out, along with Georgiev, last one off the ice, breakaways till the end, battling on ever, every puck. And I think you know, Marty Biron said it in that first tribute piece, that's what made him great. That compete level and that work ethic, he made everything in life look easy because he worked hard so that it's, you know, like it didn't come easy. He just worked so hard that he made it look easy. So, so many different tangents with him, uh, so many different memories, but I think that's the one lasting impression when you talk to his playing partners is that that desire, that passion, and that work ethic that he brought to the rink every single day. I love that he turned you into a gear rep one day. Oh yeah, we haven't have we told that story I on the air? So. I don't think so. Hopefully Unpaid we're not going to get in I trouble for this. Oh come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So this was um, this. I can't remember what year this was. It's a while back, and they came into town and and Henrik like I said he was meticulous on his equipment and we'll have that last article in the series coming up this week inside edge high with the sharpening um the Lundquist loop all the different things he developed but you know he had the the glove on inside the blocker the little black glove 
his everything would be taped up. Well, anyways, he comes into town one day. It was after practices, and he's wearing a, a really old, lot of modifications to it. It was a Vaughn, I think it was a V3 chest protector. And even though he was a Bauer guy, that was the one piece that that I don't think ever switched, uh, unless I missed it in the last year or two. Um, but he sort of stayed in that Vaughn chest protector. And anyways, the one he was in, man, it looked beat up and old. And you could see he was showing off some arm bruises, and he he. <laughs> He was he was feeling it in that thing, and we had just tested the new Vaughn V6 carbon fiber. This is back when we were working with Vaughn back before they skipped on a bill and we stopped working with them. But um, you know we were testing their gear regularly. But because Henrik wasn't uh, a Vaughn athlete, because he was a Bauer guy, like we actually had this new Vaughn chest protector before anyone else, and I had it back home. And this is like the practice and. We're talking and we're talking about it. And I asked him if he's seen it. Well, no, he hasn't because the Von Rep's not going to bring it to him, right? He's a Bauer guy. So I asked like, hey, would you like to check it out? And so I might've even been a morning skate. And he says, yeah, I'll check it out. So I come back. I actually had it in the press box with me. Go down to the locker room after the game. I think I had to go home and get it in between morning skate and game day. Bring it down post game. He does his media interview. I just kind of set it down on the side, talks to me for a bit. I'm like, hey, I brought that. He takes it in with the equipment manager into the stick room. I go in talking, going over some of the features that Vaughn had shared with us, and we tested it, and we liked it. And then the coach, I want to say it was, was it AV at the time? Was he already in New York? Coach is talking in the hallway. I got to do do my day job. So I go out in the hallway. I said, I'll be back in 10 minutes, whatever. And I'll just got, because I can't leave it with you. I got to take it back. I come back in and they've, they've got it. He's wearing it. He's trying, flexing. He's doing all these things. I get a text the next morning, ordered three. They ordered three the next morning. And so, so there you go. My one stint as a gear rep um, was for a company that owes us money. There you go. <laughs> Ironic how that works out. Well, you but made yeah. the sale. I made the sale. I made the sale. More importantly, I just try, was trying to help a goalie that, you know, I, we had this piece of equipment. He hadn't been showing it and you could tell that he needed something new. And so I'm sure they tweaked it and modified it and did all kinds of things. But um, I, I inadvertently played a role in Henrik Lundqvist going from a V3 to a V6 pro carbon model. Hey, we have a great uh, conversation coming up in our feature interview uh, with Sebastian Casa, the first goaltender drafted in this year's uh, NHL draft. Uh, Curtis Muka is his uh, goalie coach. It's a two-on-one uh, interview today. We're going to dive into that again. It's a, a great uh, discussion uh, with uh, Sebastian and Curtis in the Sense Arena VR uh, feature interview. But uh, this is the In Goal Radio podcast uh, brought to you by Source for Sports, um, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Our gear segment will deal with Bauer. Uh, in just a little bit. So that's a great tie-in with Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, we uh, got a lot of memories of, about Henrik, though. Uh, the, uh, the You mentioned the the rebounds. Like, the promo for that uh, that line was him trying to kick the puck all the way down the ice uh, after a rebound. Not really kick, but send the puck all the way down. He It was half promo, half fun uh, out of it. And I, I'm not even sure it was meant to be a promo at the time. It was just they were out there goofing around and it ended up being pretty cool i'd never seen anything like it at the time yeah trying to get that take that rebound off that that active rebound off the the odin pad and have it go in the net at the far end absolutely it's uh that's a fun one and and i think that relationship with bauer as much i think you're right darren i'm not sure that was necessarily originally intended to be an ad i'd have to ask them but um my sense 
of his relationship with that company and the passion he had for the equipment and how into it he was into his gear is that that just would have been part of the natural back and forth and that you know made its way into their product line. I mean, he ended up switching on everything eventually. We had the article where he went finally went to a foam co- from a foam core to 2x pro stick a couple of years ago because they you know that 2x pro stick was that was you know we've we've had that in the review one of the ones that sort of captured that foam core feeling better than most and it was enough to switch him and yet the glove right had that mm-hmm. practice glove that stayed nice and open for all those years and wore it in games for so long finally got one that closed but that's the last piece that didn't sort of get modernized before he retired it was a little bit more of an old school glove with a two piece cuff so just uh you're right just just a total gearhead and you know it's funny we talk about me acting as a inadvertent gear rep for for one day. What I should have done was I should have brought him to the hockey shop. Yes, I have a funny feeling that Henrik Lundqvist would have loved it there, not just because his picture was about ten ten feet high on the wall for years um, on one of the on the stairwell down, but just because that's the type of passion he has for gear. He is a guy he would have pulled a Woody. He would have tried on all the gloves. He would have tried the equipment. He would have he would have tinkered with new things. He would have talked equipment like he did with us in the locker room with Cam and his crew for hours. Now, as much as we like to go there and shop and buy our latest gear, um, it's those little innovations, little accessories, and the padded shirt we're going to talk about is one that Lundquist wore, one that's been hard to get for years since but they've got it at the hockey shop because the hockey shop always makes sure they've got those little pieces of equipment to help you get better. And when you go in there and you talk to Cam and you talk to his staff, they play the game. They approach the position the same way Henrik does with that always looking for something new, the latest and the greatest. Henrik has a, Henrik has a, a paddle protector that goes over late in his career. I think he was using the paddle wedge. Well, they don't have the paddle wedge, but they've got the goalie block. They always have those little tidbits in there. So as much as we like to talk about the latest gear, the new gear, the new lines, and we'll have more next week with the new Brian's Genetic 5 coming out, um, it really is sometimes about the accessories, how to set up that gear, much like Henrik Lundqvist. So you can find something that works for your game. There's no better place to do it than to talk to the guys at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Make sure you check out the website. Hit them up by an email if you've got any questions. They'll find the set that works for you not just the set that they have on the wall. And they'll make sure they'll help you set it up so it works for your game. A couple of more little Henrik Lundqvist notes coming up after the gear segment as we send you over to Source for Sports, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, Cam and Company talking undergarments. And please, uh, this is not an endorsement of padding your undergarments. All right, in this segment. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, source for sports, folks. We're down here in Goalie Utopia where Cam has decided that the, uh, you know those little Bauer footballs that they put inside of the gloves when you get a new Bauer glove? It's always kind of cool, you know, sort of the glove wraps around it, helps, helps form the palm. I guess Cam figured I needed a little bicep help, so we inserted a couple in the, uh, the undergarments. The undergarments are what we're talking about. Cam's got the... Uh, the leggings on. I might go find something uh, hard and bang on his knees. I've got the top piece on. The beauty is 
This means they've got them back in stock. For the longest time, these were tough to find. I've got one of the original sets with the yellow padding. Um, it's been three years now. It's being held together uh, by duct tape and bailing wire, as they say, but I still need it. Uh, so the fact you've got this now back on sale at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, is very exciting to me, and it's going to be exciting to a lot of the goaltenders out there who have been looking for it. Um, there's not much to sort of say here, Ken, but walk me through. There are a few changes in this one compared to the other ones. Well, I removed my right bicep. You walk me through. <laughs> so, uh, yes, these these elite padded garments are 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 here in the shop. Limited offering. Um, get them while you still can. Um, they are quite difficult and still fairly exclusive to get a hold of, to be honest. Um, big highlights, definitely the knee padding itself. Change from those older uh, Bauer padded garments that you saw before. Um, used to be the Poron, now it's their Flexorb material, although it is basically the same chemical makeup in terms of for foam-wise. Um, still a soft density foam to the touch, but upon impact becomes rigid uh, and realigns to create that uh, impact protection. Um, definitely not something that I would say is like a replacement for knee pads, but it's a great complement um, to a set of knee pads as well. If you're looking for a little bit of extra padding as you are dropping down into that butterfly, um, this just gives you a little bit more of that absorption, especially for the impact on your knees. It looks like they've, they've removed the padding on the inside of the thighs that used to be there. Correct. I mean, your pants are really covering a lot of that, plus you're getting a lot of double up in terms of depending on the knee pad that you have as well. Um, but it also looks like there's a lot more wrap in the knee pad, whereas I know that was what you really had to position the old ones and make sure it was set up as sort of like two sections. This one looks like it really wraps around that knee nicely. Folks, it, it helps. It's not about sort of protecting you from pucks, although it wouldn't hurt. As Cam said, you probably still have another knee pad over top of it. It's more about that drop impact uh, and absorbing some of that impact, preventing some of that from transferring up into your knees, avoiding a little wear and tear, making it a little more comfortable. Uh, but to be honest with you, like I love it there. I can't live without it here. And we do, you know, a little bit. We get questions every once in a while at Ingle. Uh, do some consulting with some coaches every once in a while. They'll have a, a young goalie or a junior goalie that is having problems with, you know, feeling pucks in the ribs. I know a lot of you out there still like to wear chest protectors that are super mobile, maybe slide towards the mobility side and less on the protective side. Uh, we had a client moving into NA, NAHL this year that was feeling, he had an older Vaughn chest protector that he loved, but he was feeling a lot of shots in the ribs. First thing I did was told him to find one of these. Um, this extra layer of protection around the rib cage really helps up around the collarbone as well. That can be the difference between a bruise and a break. Uh, really like the protection here. And then it's got, you know, it's the pants have spots for your socks. Um, it's got sort of, it's got a nice, uh, I don't know if it's a wicking material, but all I know is it yes. seems to take the sweat off. Like it's a really good undergarment anyways. And then when you add the, I guess it's not pour on anymore, but the flex pour orb. on style, the flex orb impact, this stuff is gold. Uh, I will go get something hard and bang it off Kemp's shin pads here or knees to show you that you can't actually feel it really does dull the impact. So the fact you've got it, uh, back in the store cam. Tell them where they can get a hold of you and where they can get more information about uh, how to buy one of these. You can give me a call at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 or www.thehockeyshop.com. Oh, I missed. <laughs> oh, my God. It doesn't actually hurt except when I missed. <laughs> right? I'm out. <laughs>
Check them out at thehockeyshop.com. They've got this Bauer Protective Undergarment in stock. Um, what a softy. He's totally fine over there. This stuff really does work. It was a scramble when this came across the email and the text uh, that we were doing the uh, the undergarments and the padded undergarments uh, for the gear segment this week with Cam and the Sorcerer Sports, uh, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, for the three of us to get online and order them. Because all, all three of us use them, uh, whether it's uh, Maddie or Woody or, or I, like they, they, they are uh, huge. When it, uh, Hutch, I didn't mean to leave. No, you no, there, he's but, the goalie uh, in the family now. I'm irrelevant. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it's all yeah. Good. I mean, you can wear yours around the house. That's that's not a bad there thing. There you go. I'm, I'm back uh, to the day like little, when you little... got a new set of pads and you just wore them to bed because you loved them so much. Yeah. That's all I can do now. Yeah. But what do you mean back in the day? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Did, I, I did, did that, that with the seven months ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, it, it was a scramble to to get online and for us to to all look into the, to the stock. Yeah, and I would suggest that now that we've run the segment, anybody else that's looking for a set scrambles over there and gets it early because they are tough to find. Now, this is the thing. Now, they changed it. You heard Cam talk about it. Um, they sort of changed it up a little bit from the old yellow one. Um, so it doesn't say pour on XRD on it, but it is still G-form material. It actually says G-form right on the padding, which is really interesting to me. Now, that takes me back, Hutch. And we may not be certain whether we were the first to sort of identify the Lundquist loop, but I'm damn certain we're the first ones to sort of identify the Jeep form padding. Remember when Carey Price had the knee sleeves on? 100%. Um, when uh, Tim, Tim Thomas. Thomas had the knee sleeves on and it was, you couldn't, Bauer hadn't bought the rights to it yet. It was just G form and we ran a story on it. We ended up with hockey stores all over the country sort of scrambling to order it in because goalies were looking for this product. And that reminds me of, you know, we talk about things running out. Remember a couple of years ago where the Bauer knee sleeves, we discovered that Cam had a whole bunch in stock at the warehouse and we did the same thing because a lot of goalies were looking for this product. Bauer, there was about a two-year period there, I want to say, between the yellow ones and these new sort of black um, style padded ones, uh, just the, the switch over in the style where they didn't have any. And I know pro goalies who were looking for it. I'd heard stories about reps actually going back to the stores and buying them out so they could take care of their pro goalies with this material. Um, Carey Price, we set up the Montreal Canadiens equipment manager with the hockey shop to order a bunch of those knee sleeves specifically for Carey. I'll never forget that when we discovered Cam had a bunch texting Carey and saying, hey, remember when we were talking about not being able to get those anymore? Well, I just found a bunch. Set up Cam with the, the Habs guy. So... These things are in demand. Um, they have a limited supply left. I was shocked when I saw it. And like you, Darren, I made sure I bought my own set before we announced to the world that they have some in stock. So don't waste any time. If you're still somebody who's out there, yours is wearing out. This is like the the wedges with the cheat grooves. What what piece of equipment yeah. would, you, would you buy multiple of? I would suggest stocking up on this one. So yeah, here's, a, here's an admission. Uh, mine worn out, wore out. Uh, so I went because I, I'm very sensitive. And I was getting some bruised knees. And so I went to my local hardware store and bought the like the carpenter knee pads to, with the foam and just took the foam out and put it in in and and taped it on because I couldn't get I didn't have access to this to this. Now now I do. Well, but that's the length that I had to do. Now it's good. 
the one thing I will say, if you ever get in a jam, like if we, because we're probably going to sell this product out and people are going to be like, God damn it, you guys, I was so excited to get this and they've already yeah. sold out. I waited too long. Didn't listen to Woody and Darren about going online immediately to the hockeyshop.com. If you're ever in a jam, remember G form still does sell the knee pads for skateboarders. So you can obviously find sort of, um, extreme sports and skateboard shops and things like that. And, and buy a knee sleeve. The way the foam's cut on it, it's not quite as perfect as the Bauer one. It doesn't sit under the knee. You have to sort of wear it at an angle a bit and maybe tape it a little bit. But if you're desperate, you can at least go get the padding there. Probably don't see skateboarders in the padded goalie shirts, though. So I don't think you can go to the skate shop for those. No. You got to go to the hockey shop. And guys, I know it sort of sounds like we're getting excited here. It's going to sell out. It's going to sell out. But I actually did just look it up as you guys were talking. And that left me a lot of time to look it up. And when I did that, I saw that. <laughs> Quite seriously, the mediums are sold out already. So if I was ordering one for my son right now, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so they are going to go fast. That well, was fortunately that was Woody and I are still in the uh, in the game. <laughs> See, that's, that was Darren. He bought them all. Yeah, well, I'm fine. The double XLs are still in stock, so I can still get one. Uh, uh, so back to to Hank and and Bauer. Uh, by the way, he he broke into the league in Louisville. That's how long ago he was in in the league. Right. We got a we got a story on that too. TPS. I didn't know they had a team in Louisville. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was that was good too. Uh, so t yeah, TPS, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here's one. How about this? A private a private equity group purchased the rights because TPS and Sherwood were both in trouble. They purchased the rights to both of them. They then had a tough decision to make because they only wanted to continue with one of the two brands. And they actually talked to us about this at the time. Do we continue with Sherwood and Martin Brodeur as our guy? Or do, oh. or do we continue with TPS and keep Henrik Lundqvist as the face of the franchise? They decided to go with Sherwood and Brodeur, which was not a bad decision. I mean, Brodeur was still... Not maybe not in his prime, but he was still very much at the you know near his peak and one of the dominant goalies and prominent names in the league. But I think what they failed to recognize and frankly didn't listen to us on when they asked was that the style Marty was playing wasn't one that necessarily was going to translate or capture the attention and audience of younger goaltenders. And as much as Lundqvist played a very unique style himself, it was a little more at least butterfly-based and so I would argue that decision, I mean, it was officially the end of TPS just because they canceled it essentially and went with Sherwood instead. But um, it would be very interesting. Sherwood didn't last much longer as in that iteration. And as a goalie brand, it would have been really interesting to see if it had been different had they chosen the other route and gone with Henrik Lundqvist and maintained the TPS brand instead. Okay, so here's a couple of uh, little just reflections on, on Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, first up, never played in the American Hockey League. Rarity that, that you come over from Europe and you don't spend any times, any games, any stint at all in the minor leagues. It's, it's basically unheard of. And we're not talking, like he didn't spend AHL, ECHL, anything. Not, not just from and Europe, And there was from anywhere. five years, I believe, between being drafted and and making his National Hockey League debut. And he spent all that time in, in Europe and developed. So that I think that's really intriguing. And I don't know whether that's because he was the seventh round pick or um, 
and I'll get to the other reason why why I think uh, in just a second. But that's that's really interesting. Well, and part of it is though. Again, like I said, he's. We talked about that Alaire quote about being able to adapt so quickly, and the fact he he adjusted his game over here so fast meant he didn't need any time in the minors. He was just he established himself so quickly as being capable. And don't forget, he was a three time Swedish Hockey League goalie of the year three years in a row before he came over. And in the year before he came over, I believe he also won Swedish League MVP. And what was significant about that season is it was the lockout year of 04-05. So Sweden was a very popular destination. He was playing against a lot of National Hockey Leaguers. And so if there was any doubt left on either his part or the part of the Rangers about whether he was ready after two straight Swedish Hockey League Goalies of the Year awards, um, it was gone after the third, especially because he did it against so many National Hockey Leaguers that were playing over in the Swedish League. All right, here's my last thought. He was drafted in 2000, but never played until 2005. He was a seventh-round choice. He could have... I mean, there's more cases where he would be overlooked, passed over, moved on from the organization in that situation because the New York Rangers actually thought they had their future goaltender already in Dan Blackburn, who was drafted a year after uh, Henrik Lundqvist and played two full seasons uh, with the New York Rangers before suffering the, the injury while training and, uh, and unable to continue. But like, if Dan Blackburn would have remained healthy, like this whole, like, it's weird how it all kind of comes to, Dan Blackburn was TPS goaltender too, but uh, the, it's weird how it all sorts out. He was able to, Lundqvist was able to, just kind of work his way through whether it was the Rangers idea or his idea because they had Dan Blackburn already in there and they thought he had in there. So just some synergy uh, between the two. One last piece of synergy. Um, I believe it was that I trying to remember was pre lockout or right at the end of the lockout. Can't remember when the hire was made, but I remember being sort of, I don't say mocked, but a couple chuckles when I called the most important signing of the off season that year was the New York Rangers taking Benoit Allaire away from the Arizona Coyotes as the goaltending coach, and it was just in time for Henrik to come over. And when we talk, when I talk to Marty Biron, Alex Ald, all these guys that actually played for the Rangers, and uh, Kevin Weeks witnessed that relationship between those two, like you couldn't have had a better partnership than Henrik Lundqvist and Benoit Allaire. And again, if... You know, the synergy of those two arriving at the same time in New York, it all ties in together. And and at the end, just a remarkable career. And, and I think we forget sometimes, too, just a remarkable guy, too. Uh, don't overlook the charity work that he's done with his Henrik Lundqvist Foundation. And, I mean, as cool as he was, you know, jamming on The Tonight Show, playing Sweet Child of Mine on his guitar, um, hanging out with John McEnroe for all those things. Like he was still a really good guy, uh, not just a megastar and a superstar, but um, a guy who cared a lot. And still this summer was out there with kids teaching at his goalie school in Sweden. So uh, I hope he sticks around in some aspect in the game because he's been a big part of it for the past 15 years here. Played every game of his NHL career with the New York Rangers and uh, they've got uh, all the tributes uh, lined up and ready to go. For Henrik Lundqvist, and uh, are we seeing the same type of relationship uh, with the uh, first goaltender drafted in the National Hockey League this year? When you talk about goalie coach and athlete, and the relationship between Sebastian Casa and Curtis Muka, that is our Sense Arena 
Sensorina VR uh, feature interview this week, and just a little bit of setup here before we get into it, because it's uh, it's another one of those fascinating discussions where you get to pick the brain of both the student and teacher at the same time. I love that, and you know we've we've done a few of these with sort of it's a little tougher to do with the National Hockey League guys, but I, I love doing these with guys sort of that are are coming up. We've done a few now, um, like a Jack Lafontaine and Carl Popper. Uh, obviously, Alfie Michaud and Jeremy Swayman. And you sort of get that evolution of these goaltenders from both sides of it. And what I loved about this one with Curtis is um, Curtis has been his coach since like 13 years old. So from a very early age and to sort of uh, hear both sides of that, I, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I was very impressed. Uh, we've had Curtis before, uh, not on the podcast, but he's done some stuff at you know, in Gold Mag and with Premium through the Hockey Canada webinars, um, where we've shared his presentations online. Um, but this is the first time we've had him on here. And so I was just impressed with him. I was impressed with Sebastian. I love the the conversation and the two-sided nature of it. And I'm really happy we got to do this. I'm sure, Hutch, as you listen to this, you found it intriguing. Like thinking of uh, and, and putting yourself uh, in uh, goalie coach or uh, parent or uh, what have you. And then thinking of young Maddie uh, coming up and at 13 year old and, and going through the ranks and the relationship that there is there. Yeah. I mean, regardless of, of personal connections, I, I just loved it as, as I have some of the other young ones that Woody was talking about because, because they're so close, they're so close in age, they're so close in development to most, if not all minor hockey goaltenders. And so there, you can really relate to the experiences that they're having. It's not something they're thinking back on, on from 15 or 20 years ago. They're very similar age to our, our kids right now. And all the lessons that he shares in this, all the things that he's going through, it's really easy to imagine that, that you're going through them as well. And uh, so I think uh, this is a great listen for young kids uh, of all ages, just because you know Sebastian's one of them, essentially. His dream's just beginning to come true right now. And there's a lot of great stuff in there that that I think kids can take away from it. So, you know, I I, I love this. And guys, you talk about synergies um, and all the the what ifs around Henrik Lundqvist's career. Um, it's really cool that he's had the same coach since he was 13 years old. But you don't get into the Western Hockey League just because you feel like signing with a team. You have to be drafted by a team. And uh, so, how did the stars align that Sebastian was able to be drafted and then work with his childhood yeah. goalie coach? So just great story. Uh, Sense Arena VR, uh, also a great story, continues to get it done. I, I mean, you, you'll hear in this conversation about all the starts and stops that they had to go through in, in the draft year. And Sense Arena played a pivotal role in so many athletes being able to stay sharp uh, during the course of uh, was a difficult situation. And I think we've learned a lot about the VR world and being able to use it not just when society and the sports world pauses but uh, now into everyday preparation Hutch. of course the young up-and-comers are the ones that are looking for the edge how can i how can i find a way to to grow my game a little bit better so much more so during the last year and a half i would say darren uh i had another young pro reach out to me this week actually saying oh i saw the the email you guys sent out about a, a promo on sensorina um tell me give me your thoughts and and quite literally, every time somebody asks me my thoughts on Sense Arena, I send them the link to the review over at ingolmag.com. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. Um, yeah. We're not just writing this up for them and and giving a script. We just we tell it like it is. 
And uh, so you can get a full rundown there, although there's, you know, a lot has changed since we put that review out. And that's one of the things I love about Sensorina is they're always upgrading the product. There's new drills being added, uh, new interfaces, new abilities. And, and of course, one of them, as Woody mentioned last week, is, is a training plan from the great Dominic Hasek. Uh, I, I don't think you can use Sensorina to learn how to do the barrel rolls and all those crazy things that the Dominator did, but he was very meticulous about his approach to the game and his training for the game, and and uh, he felt a connection with uh, Bob and his team over at Sensorina, and so get on there, give it a go, train like Hashik, and, and learn how to do that. Um, as well, I've also mentioned before that we're going to do a series of videos uh, for Sense Arena about our experience with it. And they finally published the first one. We'll put a link in the show notes for this one. But uh, do go over to Sense Arena's YouTube page and check it out. You can see uh, uh, my son, Maddie actually applying one of the drills from uh, ingoldmag.com, one of the ones that uh, Eli Wilson and uh, Evgeny Nabokov showed us. Uh, it's the the moving glove drill. And we were taking those drills and applying them in Sense Arena. So you might see some of the stuff we post up over at Ingle Mag and think, well, yeah, but I can't tell my goalie coach what to do on the ice. But, well, with Sense Arena, you are your goalie coach. And and we've said that many times before. You are your best goalie coach. And so take Sense Arena, get creative with it, and it will help you become a better goalie. And we just want to thank them for all their support of, of Ingle Radio Podcast. Yeah, work on it with your coach and uh, be respectful in that regard. But then you can also uh, freelance a little bit and, and do your own thing with Sensorina, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, you know, one of the things, by the way, just, this is just an aside, but it relates. Um, one of the things I loved up at, at Net360 was uh, getting to spend some time on the ice with Laurent Brassois and his new coach, Mike Rosati, in, in Vegas. And one of the things I loved about Laurent, and maybe it's just that he's reached this age where he feels confident about his game, and, and or maybe he's always been this way, but virtually every time they would go through a series of drills and then he would say, hey, could we try this? Because this is something I need to really work on. And it's and it's always an evolution of what the coach was always working on. It's never a, I don't agree with this, do it my way. It was it was this real back and forth that that was fantastic to see. And so in a related way, um, he's got the luxury on the ice of working with a coach every day and being able to tailor some things his way. But but you can do it with Sense Arena at home. That's a new relationship to the longstanding partnership, uh, Sebastian Casa and Curtis Muka. It is our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina VR on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Okay, so this has been a format we tried before on the In Goal Radio podcast, and every time we do, it's a home run. So, no, we're just setting some high expectations for you two here. Sebastian Costa coming off a, an awesome summer, first goalie picked in the 2021 NHL draft. 15th overall by the Detroit Red Wings, who it's not always nice when they trade up to grab you. Um, signed with the Red Wings, first World Junior Championship camp, massive summer, and his goalie coach with the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, someone that everyone here at Ingle should know well if they watched some of the videos we had at Ingle Premium off of the, the Hockey Canada Symposium last summer. Curtis Muka, boys, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to join us here on the Ingle Radio Podcast. Lovely. Yeah, thanks, Kev. Let's start with Sebastian. Let's start with you. I know you've you've kind of been along for for this as well, Curtis. But what what's the summer been like? What's it like to what's it like to go through this process of interviews and then getting drafted and signing? Like, have you had a chance to sort of step back and think about what this summer's been like, or are you just still live in the middle of it? 
Uh, yeah, busy, busy to say the least. Um, yeah, I think uh, phone calls were, were going up right until the draft there, right on Friday. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's been busy and with the Canada camp as well. Um, no summer virtual camp, which was which was nice a little bit. You know, another week kind of free up there. So it was just the one week with the summer showcase. Um, and then yeah, yeah, just been training, training my butt off, uh, trying to get ready for camp here. Okay, so Curtis, you were there for the draft. What's that like to watch your 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 student, someone you've worked with since he was 13 years old, get that call into the National Hockey League in the first round like that? You guys, you guys got to experience that together. What's it like from the coaching side? To how much pride are you feeling in that moment? Yeah, it's a, you know it was a really cool cool experience, and I mean it obviously doesn't. Uh, I don't want to say once in a lifetime because you never know, but it, it's the NHL. You know, first round, you don't see a, you're not you're not having two, three, four goalies every year there. So it is somewhat of a rare occurrence. You've seen a little bit more lately, but I, you know, it was, uh, you know, a little cliche, but a little bit of a proud dad, proud dad moment there um, uh, for, for Sebastian and I, it's, uh, you know, a lot of, hard, a lot of years and a lot of hard work went into that. And the kid, you know, I'm proud of the kid for, for all he's accomplished. And, you know, I know he's, he's, he's humble and he's saying, you know, the work starts now and all that stuff, but that event was pretty cool. It was cool to, to just, uh, you know, the suspense of not knowing where it was going to happen. We all had some teams in our mind that we thought might might step up, and then a couple didn't, and then we always knew Detroit was in the mix. At, at any point, they had a lot of picks, so, you know, the moving up didn't didn't really shock us. And then right up until the pick, is like, is it Jesper or is it Sebastian? Like, what's it going to be? And it was pretty cool to hear his name, so I'm, I'm happy for the kid and his family. Sebastian, in that moment, obviously a lot of excitement, but what was the process like leading up to it? And maybe I'll ask you specifically about one conversation, because I know you probably had talks with a lot of different teams and they would have varied in format. Um, but but the one you had with the Red Wings and with Chris Draper, where Chris Osgood, who has been a guest on this show and has been a longtime favorite of Ingo Magazine, where you had a long chat with Ozzy. What was that like? What was your takeaways of, from what I understand, what, 45 minutes on the phone with Chris Osgood? Yeah, yeah, we did a little Zoom there. Um, it was unreal to say the least. Obviously, I, I knew they were uh, pretty interested to to get me on the phone with him. Um, but yeah, just him him telling me kind of his story, um, you know, kind of his up and downs during his career, and just kind of what to expect when you get there. Um, obviously, Detroit's a franchise story. Uh, yeah, storied franchise. Sorry, um, and yeah, they they got some high expectations to go along with it, but. Just can't wait for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of stories and and uh, yeah, his, his up and downs uh, through his career, kind of just to, to be ready for uh, beginning my NHL career. Was there anything like uh, generally speaking, the ups and downs? Was there any specifics that you took away from that conversation with Ozzy? That's like like this hearing this from him can help me right now or can help me this season or something I'm going to not necessarily put into your game technically, but a mindset that stuck with you that yeah, this 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 was valuable. Um, yeah, yeah. I think kind of, I took away a bunch of, uh, a diff- different points there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky myself being able to, to work out with a lot of pro guys. Um, so I kind of see, see the, the consistency of their, their game. Um, I think that's something they were really trying to hammer down. It's, it's not really a, a game thing. It's, uh, you know, it's an everyday thing. Um, and you know, you got to go to go to practice and, and all your training. Um, and you know, you got to show up and, and give it 110%, I think. Um, so they were just kind of trying to hammer that down. So preparation, I mean, it's just, that's funny. It's one thing that we, 
We've had that conversation with Chris before too. He used to actually, I think he at one point he overprepared to get to the point where he, you know, and we do this at Ingle. We show all these little things that different goalies all over the place do eye drills and warm ups and mental warm ups and juggling. But sometimes it can get to be too much, right? And I think that was a big moment for him. He watched Dom Hashik, and Dom was just like chill until it was time to play. And then the intensity went up. So that lesson of not, you know, not wasting it all before you start to play. What's what is your warm up? And maybe Curtis, you can chime in here too on that process you've gone through with Sebastian. How does Sebastian Costa get ready to play for a game? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, like you kind of said there about Dom. Um, I think I'm also kind of a a more relaxed guy. Um, obviously, you see a lot of goalies with with headphones on and, and don't talk to me for two hours before the game, and I'm kind of the opposite of that. Um, I'm kind of the I think I'm the loudest guy in the room. Um, but yeah, yeah, keep it loose and, until warm up, and, and kind of really start dialing it in there um, on ice. I do a couple of uh, eye visualization um, stuff and, and work on there. Uh, but yeah, kind of after that, just uh, my mentality when the game ha- hits. Um, you know, it's, it's go time, go time. Yeah. I think it, Kevin, I think it's interesting too, because like I'm, I'm at home games, I sit with the the other coaches, head coaches and coaches. Right. So I, I, I almost get like a perspective from what they're thinking. So send again, sometimes they, they, you know, they see a goaltender being like a little loose, you know, and, and not so like crazy focus and out. And that's kind of the, the thing that that's Sebastian's approach, but you know, if there's a, you know, maybe it's a stinker of a game or something. And then they go back to, well, he was loose before the game, but I'm like, wow, that's his routine though. Like, because, so it's kind of tricky because it's like, well, what he should be doing more, he should be more focused. So it's like, they want the goalies to be like really, really dialed in, but the players can goof around and play, you know, Super Bowl and whatever. So it's kind of, I, I mean, I like Sebastian's routine. It's been, you know, I've helped him a little bit guided, but over the years, but it has been mostly innate and what from, from himself. Um, but, you know, he does take a little bit of a, a looser approach. And then, like he said, when it's go time, it's go time. And when it's business, it's business. But it's interesting because I'll hear different conversations of he didn't look as focused today. Maybe that's why he let him for, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I don't know if that's truly like the thing here, but um, it's just interesting on the other side of it. Well, that's funny. You know what that reminds me of? I remember early in Carey's career in Montreal, right? Like everybody loves that cool, calm, you know, water off a duck's back demeanor. But in the instances, especially early in his career, where things maybe weren't going as well, they quickly turned on that and called it too casual, right? So it's that fine line and it's different for every goaltender. Um, Have there been points, Sebastian, in your very young career still where you've tried to add things and experimented with different things in terms of preparation or routine and just you know, tried some of those different elements and hey, it's just not for not for you or or how is that how's it evolved to this point? Yeah, definitely. I think in, in minor hockey, I was uh, a little bit more more loose with it and, and trying out new things, um, per se, uh, you know, some ball drills or, or something to get my eyes going before the game. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think the, over the past two years in, in junior, I've, I've kind of kept the exact same routine. And um, even, yeah, the routine, it's pretty loose. Um, but even for me, I think, uh, you know, if something doesn't go right and something I can't do something one day, um, it doesn't really affect my game. I, uh, I don't think about it too much there. So for me, um, you know, I think I've kept the same routine the past two years, but definitely in minor hockey, I was, uh, was changing it up a bit and trying to see what I like the best. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the path to here because obviously your game's evolved. Nobody arrives at 13 ready for the WHL or ready to be a first round NHL draft pick. Um, 
the process you guys uh, that you've started. Obviously, Sebastian at six foot six now, but you would have, as is Coach Curtis starting at age thirteen. I'm guessing, I'm guessing he wasn't six foot six at thirteen. There would have been a growth spurts and probably times where I'm curious times where the growth became not problematic but a challenge. We see guys go through spurts and then learning to control their body becomes a challenge. Take me back to thirteen, your first time working together. Uh, as a pupil and coach, and how that relationship and how your game has evolved. Maybe start with you, Curtis. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I remember going to the Fort Saskatchewan tryouts, and I, uh, I that's kind of a, an association I've helped out for the last, um, ever since I started coaching, actually. And uh, and the coach, Nick Trudeau at the time, was saying, there's this big kid from Fort Mac, you're going to love him. <laughs> that's what he said. And I mean, that definitely came uh, came true five, six years later. But um, it's uh, I, it was interesting because – any goal I go work with, obviously, I'm all in. I want to help them be, become the best they can be. And at the time, Sebastian wasn't with the Oak Kings. He was a free agent in the Western Hockey League draft. So I was just working with him like I'd work with anybody. And and he was a, he was a big kid, probably, I don't know, probably 6'1 in Bama, maybe 6'2". Uh, that's cool. That's cool, no, maybe on skates, maybe on skates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, big, big kid. Uh, a, a lot of good things to his game. A um, little raw just because of the probably the uh, – the growth that he he had already done at that point, I, I felt at times he moved moved too much just because he didn't really. Uh, I just didn't understand how much he needed to move, but he had great athletic uh, ability early on, and his his movement laterally was was good for for a big kid. So in all, it's Sebastian Chemin, but we just kind of built built it out and and kept adding to a foundation. Really got the tracking piece going. Uh, we're still working on that as he gets into higher levels and better shooters, but I think you know, the skating and the tracking were the two biggest things early on that we, uh, we wanted to work on and focus with. Sebastian, actually, let me take you, I'm going to rewind it a little bit further for you. That's obviously as you get started working with Curtis, but where did it, where did goaltending start for you? Where did the passion begin? You know, there's usually a couple of different common themes in origin stories, as we've discovered 130 some odd episodes into this. Where's, where's yours? How'd you get started with the position? Uh, yeah, we were doing, uh, it was my novice second year um, to start the year. There's three goalies and, and by Christmas, I was the last one standing. Um, the other two had quit and uh, it was kind of kind of left up to me and, and I liked it already. I can't, I can't remember per se, but um, I'm pretty sure I was, uh, I was all right at it um, from a young age and, and kind of, yeah, just kept, kept with it. What'd you love? What do you love? I mean, what do you love about it now? What'd you love about it then? What made you, cause we all, there's kind of that. If you don't have a passion for this position, you usually don't succeed at it, whether it's coaching or playing. Like you got to kind of embrace there's some it's a tough spot at times. You kind of got to embrace it. What do you love about it now? Yeah, I think just the, the compete of it. Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, every every player on the other team wants to score. And, and I'm uh, that guy that's going to stop them. Um, you know, I think it's kind of the one on one one on one game with uh, with the other players and then. Also, kind of just being that last line of defense. Um, you know, I just said in a couple of interviews, but either being the hero or the villain. Um, you know, if you let in a weak one, you know, uh, fans aren't too happy with you. But um, obviously, when you're when you're standing on your head, you can uh, you can win a game or two, win a series even um, for your team. So I think, you know, just the the kind of the pressure that comes with it. Um, you know, I, I really love that. You've embraced it by the sounds of it. Was there anyone you you know as you get started, uh, maybe not all the way back to novice, but were there like, when did you get your first goalie coach? When did the game become something you thought about in terms of the position or how much of it early on was just 
you know, mimicking, was there a guy on TV locally, you know, NHL team that you looked up to and it's like, I want to be that guy. How did your process of evolution begin? Was it more of that trying to emulate what you saw on TV or when did, when did coaches enter the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the first couple of years was just trying to save the puck. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, my, my first goalie that I really liked and, and still my idol, um, you know, Carey Price, um, just, you know, the way he plays, the way he, the way he is in his net, you know, like you said earlier, the, the cool, calm demeanor he has and, um, you know, just how, how easy he makes the game look. I think that's something I really look after and playing big, you know, he's six, four, um, you know, at the top of your crease, if you're able to move, you can, you can play big. Um, so yeah, that's kind of really where I focused on it. And then I'd say, uh, you know, I think my peewee second year, I, I started with a goalie coach. Um, and yeah, like Mooks had said, um, my bantam, my bantam second year really still really raw. Um, and yeah, obviously my, my games went from, from night to day now. Are there any guys and, and you guys talk about this at all? Maybe as uh, the, the two of you, do you look at NHL film together? Do you look at some of the guys as you've gotten bigger Sebastian and, no, I said six foot six at the top, but I re- I think I read you you said somewhere that it's still growing and maybe six foot seven already. Do you guys watch together some of the like? Do you watch a Pekarine who's just retired? Do you watch a Jacob Markstrom to see how they manage their size? Are you paying attention to how guys at the top level do it? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned those two names actually because there was a stretch last year, like the the season that COVID eventually ended. That season, so special seventeen. We, there's a stretch where the Oil Kings, I think, played like three games in three weeks, like or three games in two weeks. It wasn't much. Um, I think we had Beck warm as well at the time. So I think Sebastian was given, basically going to get one game in like three weeks. It's just a weird schedule. So uh, we, I was, I said like, let's let's look at some NHL guys. Let's take that downtime. It was all you're at home all time. And I said, pick four, three or four goalies in the league, you know, bigger guys, and let's all pull some some clips from Instat and, and let's do like a little project. So I believe you picked uh Rene Markstrom. Um, who's the guy in Dallas, the big guy get Bish. Yes. Barry Bishop. And then there's, I think Vasilevsky was the fourth one, right? So it was cool. kind of cool. Just, I wanted him to, and that was when he was only 17 in the Western league, but I just wanted him to just to uh, start to see what guys at the next level, bigger guys, how they play. And, there's some really good contrast between between those goalies. So it's something we did uh, when he was a rookie in the league. Yeah. Any you remember that, Sebastian? Is there any like any in those moments? Did you take any specifics, or it's like, man, I love how this guy does this, and you're trying to add it to your game, or or incorporating it even in a small way? Definitely, yeah. I think uh, you try and pull uh, stuff from everyone. Obviously, uh, I think you know you look at for a guy like me, Pekarene, or, or, or even Vasilevsky is the best case scenario. But for their skating and, and you know Markstrom's post play is very good. Um, you know, just with Rene's size and how well he moves his hands, I think um, you know just yeah, you take uh, small things from kind of everyone's game. Now. From the outside looking in, and obviously I read all the scouting reports in the draft and all this stuff heading into the draft, and I'll be perfectly honest, I don't get an opportunity just because I, I can barely keep up with the goalies in the NHL and trying to keep up with this stuff, so I don't get a chance to watch. But I, I look at the numbers and I read all this stuff and get a hell of a year in 2019-20. And then we go into the bubble year, and I know there's a lot of outside weird circumstances, pandemic and bubble and everything. But I mean, 941, man, from the outside, that looked like a step. I saw other people and analysts describe it as you taking a step. Um, 
I'm curious, how much was that just natural progression or were there some things you worked on between, in between those two stages that you feel really helped you in your game? Any specifics you can share with us between those two years? Because like I said, it was already a hell of a performance going into last season, but that, I mean, those are some unworldly numbers we saw in the bubble. Yeah, I think uh, you know there's there's a big off season there, and I think I took uh, took every step that I could. Um, you know, I was really dialed in during that that nine ten months of COVID there. Um, you know, in the off ice it was almost night and day. Um, you know, I've gotten got much stronger, uh, more flexible, more control over my body during that time, and and even the, the on ice there was uh, some stretches where we weren't able to go on the ice. I think it was even before training camp. Um, I hadn't been on the ice for six weeks, so. Kind of, uh, you know, working with Muka a little bit this year um, with some COVID restrictions, but um, I think really just the biggest key for me this year going into it was was just the consistency of it. Um, if I'm bringing my game every single night, and you know, I think the stats were so good because because I didn't really have a have a night off. Um, you know, maybe one or two that I want back, but there wasn't uh, any. You know, five goals against uh, twenty shots. Um, so you know, I think just the consistency there, kind of. Um, is kind of really the the biggest step, I think. Yeah, there's two things From, on my end on that. Like, I think uh, it was such an interesting offseason. Like, we were allowed – I say that very carefully. Like, we were allowed to skate in the summer. And then – and, like, I, I was so – like, I, I was so happy with this last summer um, leading into August when a normal training camp would happen. And I, I felt the game was probably the best it ever could have been. And then it except the dub kept pushing it back, right? So it was, like, September, October, November – it was okay. Like we're just kind of ma- maintaining things and, and, and trying to keep in a good mental mindset as well, just because it was, nobody knew what was going to happen. And then in Alberta, I think it was like December until, till training camp, like they shut rinks down entirely again. And, uh, and Sebastian was able to do some workouts, but very like, you know, body weight because gyms were shut down too. And I remember going like once, uh, once we were back into the WHL training camp with just our team, we had two weeks until a game and, and we went to Lau, our head coach, and we're like, I was like, we need goalie ice every day. <laughs> like, like we said, there's a day off when there's a day off to rest, but like, we need goalie ice every day. And we did as much as we could in that, that time just to get them up and running. And I'll give the kid credit for the season. And, and I feel, I feel for all the goalies that usually have goalie coaches helping them. And especially the ones in the bubble, like a lot of the onus this season was put on Sebastian because I would, I mean, I'd still come out twice a week. I'd get 30 minutes. I, I'd have to stand at the blue line. I couldn't come within reach. I couldn't be in the room. I couldn't do video after some of it. We did a little bit of like through zoom and whatnot, but I felt like Sebastian was a bit of on an, on an Island himself this year. And he just had to figure it out a little bit too. So I, I think it was really challenging in certain areas. And we, I tried to support him. I, I know our assistant coach stepped up big time. Luke Pierce was great and helping little things with the goalies as well, but it was just a really weird year in terms of what we were able to, do and, and try and, you know, almost go in main, maintenance mode and just stay as sharp as we could for those weird stretches, right? I want to ask you a little bit about the off-ice stuff, Sebastian, and you talked about body control and things like that. So I'm curious. I want to pull on that string a little bit. But first, having that, like not having Curtis there as much, having, as he said, to be on an island in yourself, like we've seen that at other times. Like sometimes, not intentionally, we can see goalies right up to the pro level almost become dependent on their goalie coach to manage their game, looking back at it as much as it may have been difficult in the moment. And at the time, especially coming off, like you said, such a stressful time of the pandemic and all the uncertainty and all the downtime, 
Was there a benefit, Sebastian, in sort of having to learn to manage your own game? And you said it sure sounds like you managed it okay because the intensity never wavered. There wasn't an off night. What what did you learn about yourself in that process of having to sort of take charge and direction of your own game and your own preparation without having a goalie coach there as often as you might normally? Yeah, I think I think I was just, uh, you know, I, I put some more detail into it, um, you know, anytime I could, um, you know, obviously watching every single video and, and also, I think I'm a, I'm a student of the game. Uh, a lot of things Moose has taught me. He has, uh, you know, a lot of the things he would be reminding me are just simple reminders that I can see uh, throughout the game myself. And obviously, if there's if there's some stuff that needs to be uh, changed is when I'm talking to Muka. Um, but yeah, just the, keeping the small details, um, you know, really sharp throughout the season was, uh, was something I was doing really well with video there. Now, just out of curiosity, because obviously, like, for us, the audience is goalies, right? So this audience is... They're hearing these things about little things and, you know, things that you always have. Can you share it? Like, are you okay to share any of them with them? Because there's probably there's probably kids right now out there listening. And we hear a lot from parents that listen to this podcast on the way in and out of the rink with their kids. Are there any, you know, some of those messages and some of those little keys that you two can share in terms of, you know, what those anchors are that you went back to, that you double checked, that you were able to use to help manage your own game? Yeah, I think early on, especially early on in the season, again, we hadn't played the game like almost a full calendar year. Maybe it was more. I don't even I don't even know the specifics, but I I, I said to him the other day, I said, I like I've I've never really been nervous watching Sebastian. I'm very confident in his ability, all the work we put in. But that first game against I think it was Lethbridge to start the season, I was like, I was actually nervous. I just didn't know I was gonna go. I'm like, I don't know how our team's gonna be. Nobody's played a game in forever, right? Um, so I, I for me early on, it was it was just controlling the game, slowing it out as much as we could. So getting tons of whistles. And to me, what that came down to was just his ability to track pucks really well, really clean, you know, all the way to contact. If it hit his logo, it was a whistle. If it was in his glove, it was a whistle. If it was on the ice, it was in row 12 in the netting. Like everything was slowing it down as much as we could, letting our team get into the game because there were some things that we all, even though we had a good team, we still had to work some stuff out as well. So I think on a bit of a technical piece, I, I was just making sure and wanted him to just really track pucks as diligently as he could to A, control the game, control your rebounds, make it as less less chaotic in our own end um, so we could spend as much time in the other end. So that was one thing for me. And there might be a couple of things for Sebastian, but for me, it was just tracking and controlling the game as, as much as we could. Was that a thought process? That, 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 that controlling the game, Sebastian? It's funny, you know, when I hear that, you know how I think of? I think of Joel Hofer when we had him on after he won a World Junior Championship. And in the context of a gold medal game where there were some nerves, he also talked about that, about controlling pucks. If it's on the body, it's smothered. If it's on the ice, it's it's in the netting and allowing the team to sort of find itself because they weren't scrambling. Rebounds were all controlled. Is that conscious effort for you, Sebastian, heading into that season and into that first game? 100%. Yeah, I think obviously that's... Uh every game you're, you're trying to control the pace of your, your team. Um, but yeah, obviously that, that first one. And I think it was, it was, I think two, two days shy or something. It was of a year um, of not being able to play. So just everyone was rusty. Um, you know, it was uh, still a jittery first period to say the least, but yeah, definitely controlling the game, you know? Yeah. Like Muka said, uh, you know, getting whistles every single time you can for sure. Are there any other things, little takeaways or keys that, you know, like every goalie I think has, 
something that in their mind that they use as an anchor, whether it's between whistles, before a puck, or even when the play is coming at them. Like, are there any you can share with us that you use through this process? Like I said, as you were managing your own game, what are your staples that you're thinking of, whether it's going into the game or, well, it's actually going on? Uh, yeah, I think I got a got a good quote from Mooks, uh, you know, just watching the puck. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you see the puck, um, you're tracking the puck well, um, you're going to be able to make the stop. So I think, uh, you know, especially coming into this year, he uh, Mooks had played in a couple empty barns in his career. Uh, so just kind of getting used to that. And uh, the intensity wasn't really there this year with uh, with having no fans. So just, you know, staying dialed throughout the entire game. And, and just that was kind of the the building block that I always came back to, um, you know, going into a game, just, you know, watch the puck, you know, you, you watch it really well. You kind of overtrack the, the first couple and then you start feeling good and, and getting into your game there. Okay. So empty barns, I got to ask about that. And I, I actually think I've been guilty of not asking enough guys that, you know, whether it was right up to the NHL that we've had on, what was that, what that was like, is that a different kind of challenge when you talk about like you, you feel that lack of intensity as a goalie back there, Curtis, if you were in the rink watching, do you feel that lack of intensity is it on you as a goaltender to, how do you find that line of manufacturing it for yourself without getting overhyped? Yeah, I was, I mean, at the home games for us, I'm not sure if Sebastian obviously answered this, but I felt like with the, the oil King step, it wasn't in the big rink, right? So it was the practice rink. It almost had more of a minor hockey feel and it wasn't this big quiet stadium. Uh, that we we're playing in a little bit different in some of the other rinks in Red Deer and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, just to elaborate on what Sebastian said for me, just in my old CAS days when I was playing, like we'd go to UBC, they had a huge, huge rink there. It was, it was a beautiful rink, but they, they just wouldn't get that many people coming out. Right. So, you know, uh, for me, I always, I always told myself, I'm like, you go into the game, it's no atmosphere. Like you kind of sometimes feel off. And I said, I, you know, took a step back. I'm like, I don't, I don't, my play doesn't depend on how I feel. I don't play, I don't want to play off a of feeling. It, to me, it's just, just remind, just watch a puck, watch a puck. I, I play off of my visuals. I play off of my foundation. And I just kind of shared that story with Sebastian because I knew it was going to be somewhat similar. It wasn't a pandemic that I played through. It just not a lot of people come out to certain teams in the CIS, right? So it's uh, it was a little bit different, but I, I think he did a pretty good job managing that. Um, our team did a good job creating their own energy. But yeah, Sebastian could speak a little bit more to some of those other rinks. Tougher in some rinks than others, Sebastian? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like like Luke said there at uh, at Rogers, we were in the DCA. And, and yeah, I agree with him there with uh, the minor hawk kind of feel. You know, you look up and, you know, you see, see maybe, you know, 20 or 30 scouts there. So maybe, uh, you know, after every every goal against, you look up and, and see them writing stuff down. Maybe it's a little bit more nerve-wracking then. But, um, yeah, when we're down in Lethbridge and, and Red Deer, bigger, bigger uh, ranks like that, you can you can feel it more, I think. And how did you, how did you, how did you get, how did you create your own energy in that? Like, what did you do to find that intensity level that allows Sebastian Costa to have that success? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, your, your job's just off the puck. Um, so I think, you know, the, the intensity level, um, you know, whatever, whatever you need and you feel like, um, you know, the, the music's going and warmups and stuff, you know, that's getting me going, um, you know, and our team did do a good job of, of creating our own energy. Um, obviously, we had a solid team and, and we would get into some good momentum, uh, you know, pushes and, and that kind of just used that, um, you know, for myself. Um, you know, if the team's going good right now, um, you know, the last thing we need is a goal against. So um, you know, I think I just kind of kind of rode the wave of, of the team's atmosphere. 
you talk much? Like, is communication a big part of that? Whether it's, uh, I know you like to handle the puck, whether it's making sure that communication is there with the D in terms of whether it's a leave or an over or what you're going to do with it. Or I've also heard, I, I saw some of the TSN clips with Mark Masters. I've heard you like to do a little, a little talking to other guys as well. Is that just part of creating that for you, that mindset and that mentality? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially in my, my defensive zone, there's, uh, you know, our team has a lot of short calls. Um, you know, if it's just, yeah, like you said, little bumps there or overs. Um, so yeah, definitely always, always calling out plays there. Um, you're the goal. You can see the whole ice. Um, you know, if you can help your defenseman out and, and make their life a little bit easier, um, it's just going to help you. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm calling a lot of the calls and, and yeah, sometimes, sometimes chirping. Um, but yeah, that's usually, uh, you know, in a, in a lower, uh, action night, just trying to stay in the game, I think. Okay. Now Curtis talked a little bit about tracking and you talked about watch the puck as a mentality. And I think uh, at some level it, it is as simple as that. Um, but I think a lot of people hear that and they think it's just like, Hey, yeah, you know, like eyes on the puck, like a, like a baseball player, right? Keep your eye on the ball. What is tracking? I know Curtis, you, you know, you've, you've worked with Dustin Schwartz and there are some different definitions, a little more sort of biomechanically involved where tracking is more than just watching the puck. It initiates movement and things like that. So I'll ask you first, Sebastian, when Curtis says tracking, what is it to you? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of your whole game. Um, you know, we've, we've put tracking on a, on a big level. Uh, I think it starts, you know, with head trajectory and, and staying over top of the puck. And then um, obviously with your setup, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you're, you're watching the puck, but um, you know, I think your head leads your entire body and, and uh, you know, when the puck's coming and you got a good eye on it, um, you know, I think you're going to, gonna meet the puck in a in a good angle uh, or good area with your with your hand in front of you or, or whatever the save is and kind of control it from there so i think it's just yeah yeah like i said it starts with head trajectory and, and just watching the puck in fully to uh till completion does it help curtis like we talk about body control and obviously a big frame longer limbs sometimes controlling that is a lot tougher we also hear a lot and this is you know i've been guilty of repeating this phrase in radio interviews myself like Big goalies equals bigger holes, right? Like that's just kind of a general thought. But when I watched you play, Sebastian, like there wasn't a lot of open and close in your movements. When you skate, when you move, it's compact. There's not a lot of counter rotation, Curtis. Like is that where we see some of the mechanics of tracking initiated movement pay off, especially for for a goaltender of Sebastian's size? Yeah, I would agree. I, I think for me, uh, I... I don't know the statistic, like the number, like I would say the majority of tracking discussion is placed there on shots and, and for good reason. Um, but I think tracking through your skating, tracking through your movements doesn't get enough attention. And I think, I think if you look at the best skaters in the world, uh, they track through their movements really well, right? So they're going to set angle, then they're going to push. So they're not getting too spread out right away. There's no delays in their movement which results to them being set early. So now they can track the shot, right? So I think to me, tracking, I like this Bastion set, and you're probably going to come take my job one day if you explain it that well. But I think, you know, tracking starts in your setup, right? It has to be in your setup, has to be in your stance. Your, your eyes have to be in the right spot. And, and it is a mindset thing for sure. But I, um, tracking shots is awesome. I think tracking through your movements, tracking through through a pass. I, anytime we do a session, I always very rarely do we have just me and him. I, I try and get multiple shooters because I don't want him just pushing to me for a shot. Um, I feel that creates horrible habits in terms of if there's a pass that he can watch now we're working on the skating um, the right way. Right. So I find that that 
And I, I think that's a testament to why he does move so well. Is he, he bought into it early on, but he tracks really well through his movements. So I hear a lot, of, and I think he does move well for a big guy, but they say that he's an efficient skater, and they're always surprised because he's so big he can move well. But I think it goes back to the tracking through his movements and the skating, and that allows him to be set fairly, fairly early and then work off the shot release, right? Now, another goalie that I, I think of in those terms does this very well um, and you had some experience with, and I'm, I'm just curious where he fit into the evolution because he was brought in and I could, I would think it, I don't know how you would have reacted to it at the time, Sebastian, but like, what was the relationship like when Beck showed up for that year? Cause he's a guy that I've watched at pro camps and seen other coaches actually point to as a good model for exactly what we just talked about in terms of that efficiency of movement and the, and the way it's initiated and the biomechanics of it. Yeah, Beck, yeah, Beck's an unreal guy. Um, you know, I think he came in and, and took a real good leadership role on me, um, you know, just kind of showing me the ways. Obviously, he was uh, was facing a lot of rubber in Tri-City, um, so he knew how to take care of his body for, for 50 or 60 games in a season. So I think just kind of taking that off of him, um, you know, how kind of his routines are off ice, on ice, just I think really took how he took care of his body is uh, the biggest thing I took from him, really. And then a bunch of stuff on ice. Um, yeah, like you said, the tracking and, and his puck handling behind the net, I think, is, a, is another really big thing that me and Curtis kind of took away from. Um, you know, I think he moves the puck very well and he retrieves the puck very well. So, um, no, yeah, just definitely, definitely taking, uh, taking a couple things off him. What was your mindset going into it when you heard those? I mean, you're having the success as a 17-year-old and all of a sudden they bring in a 20-year-old. What I mean, how did you... You guys, you two have conversations about how, you know, what this was about. Cause there are times where you, I don't know how you would have felt. You would have felt like, Hey, no, 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 this is my gig. Like how, how'd that go? How that, what were those conversations like? And how was your mindset initially and how did it evolve? Yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I, I heard about the trade right after we got off the ice, um, of beating, uh, beating Everett in a shootout. So, um, you know, I, I had a really hot December there and, and had just beaten, uh, Everett. And then I see that we trade for, for probably the top three one of the top three goalies in the league, um, at the time. So obviously definitely, uh, definitely a little disappointed, but at the same time, you, you know, it's uh, it's a business and, uh, you know, we were obviously going to go on a, on a deep run that year, um, last year and, uh, we needed a top, top goalie. Um, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. So you just got to come to the gym or come to the rink the next day and, and, and kind of put your head down and get to work. Um, you know, the, the games that I wasn't going to play in, um, you know, I needed to, uh, needed to show what I had. And, and uh, you know, if there was an option that I was going to be able to play on playoffs, I was going to uh, need to show that I can win some games there. So obviously didn't powder or uh, be disappointed in it. Um, you know, had a, had a great relationship with Beck and, um, you know, kind of just took th- some things off each other, I think. Uh, Curtis, I didn't preface this. I didn't ask you before the show, so I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but like how tough, like you must have known what, like Sebastian being as competitive as he is, how he might react to that. But obviously there's a maturity here as well. How, like, do you have a voice in those discussions or? For sure. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I, I see like we, we sent Sebastian home at 16 too from the Western Rock League and, and was he ready for the league? I think he was. Um, we had to sort our goalies at the time. But I, I saw how he responded there. Like I know he was he was really rattled at that time. But he did he does a good job of not really showing showing the frustration. Um, and I think he did the same thing with when Beck came in. And I knew I even personally I talked to the general manager, and and I'm not on management, so um, I don't know all how everything works there. But I personally felt I said that you know the what we were giving away for Beck 
we, you know, those assets might've been better off, you know, down the road to use and, and to bolster our team in other areas. But at the same time, Sebastian was 17. We would have had to either acquire an older, weaker goalie, not on Beck's level, or go with a 16-year-old behind Sebastian and Colby Knight. So that wouldn't have been great either with going into a deeper playoff run. So I didn't understand it. And after a week, getting to know Beck and, and, and seeing what, if Sebastian bought in, which he did, um, seeing what he'll take away from Beck, it, the, it, it was invaluable. Whatever we gave up, the, the picks and a whatever player or something like that was was uh, well worth the return for Beck. And it would have been, I mean, nicer to obviously play out the season and go on a deep run. But um, he, uh, I, I loved Beck. He was great, great for our, our organization. He's great for players, not just Sebastian. Like he was good for our other young guys to see his, his professional mentality and, and how he conducted himself. So, yeah, I initially I was almost as Sebastian. I was kind of frustrated. He, he earned, he took over. The other guy kind of left the team. So we were in a bad spot, but um, hard, hard to be, hard to be mad when a guy like that comes through the door. Right. So he was good to have. Well, and so for those that for our audience who's like, what do they mean? Didn't finish just so everyone knows that was the 1920 season, which got canceled. There was no playoffs because of the pandemic um, in the Western hockey league. Um, you mentioned Sebastian controlling your body um, and changing some of the things you did that, that, huge offseason before having such a good year last year and, and learning to sort of control your frame. You, you talked a little bit about learning some things from Beck. So walk us through um, what maybe changed in the way you were preparing off the ice, because you'd mentioned that as being a big part of such a big last season. Can you give us any specifics, any advice that, let's say, Sebastian Cosa, the first round draft pick, was talking to Sebastian Cosa, the 16-year-old, um, what advice would you give him about how you train um, maybe now versus then? Yeah, I think, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, you you want to be going on the ice and, and you want your body to be feeling good. I think, um, you know, just the evolution of my of my warm-ups and cool-downs, um, you know, you you won't see me skipping a, a cool-down and, and most days I'm in the tubs or, or uh, the Norma techs, you know, um, just doing everything I can to, to keep my body loose. Um, I think that's really the, the biggest point um, at the end of the day, your, your body's your moneymaker and it's uh, it's your career. So you got to take care of it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think just really, uh, you know, the hydration part, um, you know, eating healthy, um, you know, that wasn't as big as a problem for me, but, you know, I think just, you know, staying how dialed, um, you know, how dialed Beck was, um, you know, I think it just really uh, showed me kind of the next step that I needed to take. So more preparation as opposed to changing how you actually train in the off season, more just game day and, and practice preparation. What is a typical warm up, dynamic warm up or preparation to hit the ice look like for you nowadays? Yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, doing uh, rolling out before. Um, you know, if it was to be the the warm up, would be rolling out for a little bit and then uh, you know get some dynamic warm up in there, get the heart rate going, um, and then. Um, you know, do some static step stretching, maybe a little bit. Um, and yeah, just getting ready for the ice there. And then, uh, you know, when I'm cooling down, it's, it's always rolling and, and quite a bit of static stretching. All right. I wanted to, we're kind of pushing up against the time here a little bit. I've had you guys on as usual with me longer than I promise. Um, but I, I did want to ask you a little bit too, a couple for you, Sebastian, um, a couple of things you're involved with that I, that I read about that I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about and just curious how you got started in it. One is, uh, you know, and this probably speaks to the character and the maturity stuff we, we've talked about a little bit, but hockey gives blood um, and your role there. I've seen on your social media is promoting that. Why is, why is that important to you? How'd you get, how'd you start getting involved? And is there anything, you know, in terms of messages to people to, to sort of you, where they can help? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, my 17 year old year in Edmonton. Um, you know, our assistant coach is one of the co-founders for uh, Hockey is Blood and um, my, one of the ambassadors, the ambassador at the time on my, uh, my hockey team, Ethan Cap, we were, uh, he was going to donate blood and invited the guys on the team. Um, and there was about 10 of us who went there. Um, and yeah, when we were there, it's just kind of a question of what, what can I do? Um, what else can I do? Um, so I think just, you know, being an ambassador and, and kind of, uh, spreading awareness on it, you know, I think at the end, that, at the end, that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, there's not, not ever enough blood. Um, and I think just the message out there is to, to go donate. Um, you know, there's, like I said, there's never enough blood, so you could potentially be save, saving a life, um, and, you know, for something that's, that's so easy to do. Uh, Curtis, you get to see this every day in this young man. You've seen it since he was, you know, like I said, 13, 14, when he started working with them. Um, you probably got this question a lot from NHL teams in the process. What, what is it about Sebastian and his mindset and his maturity that jumps out to you? What were, what were some of the questions, some of the answers? I mean, obviously we see examples like how he handled Beck coming in. Uh, we see examples like getting involved with hockey gives blood, but as much as we focus, I think on my world on technical, like how much do you think the success here is based on that mindset and that maturity and, and that side of things? Yeah, no, he's come, he's come a long way in that. And um, I think it's, his maturity has started to become years beyond his his actual age, and and this not the story, but what kind of something I tell the the NHL teams that I, I they'd call me before the draft was, you know, when he was thirteen and fourteen, fifteen, even sixteen, uh, you know, when we planned some off season training, I'd always go through Sandy's mom, we just coordinated it all, you know, going into his seventeen year old year uh, with Oil Kings, he came over. I cooked him a really nice steak dinner. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, the, the preface was, uh, you know, he, he brought his calendar with him and we did, he just mapped out, like he had it planned out already. He planned out his whole summer, asked if I wanted to, or if I felt like I needed to change or alter, to add anything or delete anything, make sure I had rest time, time to go a little, little holiday in BC or whatever it might be. So to me, he took ownership of his, of his, uh, you know, his training, his off seasons, you know, and, and that carried into the season as well. But I, the maturity, the ownership, you know, it, it you know, he's a great goalie, obviously. And, you know, he's hopefully going to make this a long career, but I think that started, you know, before he was drafted, before he was even really known, before he was ranked, he wasn't in the league at 16. Right. So I think he had to, his trajectory to where he got to was a lot steeper and I think it's all well-deserved, but I think his approach back then, you know, taking ownership of his game, not letting mom and dad, you know, always be the driver. Um, I, I like to see that, that he, you know, stepped up and said, I want to do this and this and this. And then he came to me and said, Hey, is this okay? And, and well, 95% it was great. I didn't need to really, you know, a couple ideas I threw at him, but I, that maturity and that's not me or his agent or his mom saying, Hey, go do this. It was just, again, it was him just doing it. And, and I think that's pretty cool. You don't see that a whole lot. So, I mean, that could be a good message for the younger goalies that might listen to this as well. Yeah, no, I love that. And it kind of ties back into taking ownership of his own game, right? You, you, you know, when you weren't able to be there as often in the bubble, like you really can't just depend on other people. Can you Sebastian to do everything for you? Oh yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's your game. It's uh, it's going to be your career. So I think you, you need to obviously be the most invested into it. And, and uh, you know, there's how many other goalies in the world that want to do it. So I think obviously you just need to be as dedicated as you can. And, and at the end of the day, just keep, developing your game to, to make sure that you're the best that you can be. All right. Last one, that schedule, that calendar, you've rolled it out, um, coming up, like what does the rest of the summer look like for you? 
Did you know you'd be signing that contract? That did you have that one checked off on the day? Did you expect to sign this soon? Uh, World Junior Championship camp. What was that like? And you know, what is? How do you move from here into the next season and ensure that you are still building and are sort of setting goals? What would they look like for next year? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I hadn't didn't know uh, I was going to be signing so early. Um, obviously, that's just. Uh... You know, just, yeah, obviously happy that I can do that. Um, you know, that's obviously a goal of mine. So uh, happy to get that out of the way. And, and uh, you know, the rest of my summer, it's just a week and a half left. Um, the Oil Kings camp starts on September 1st. So going to be skating uh, three times with Mooks next week. And, um, you know, in training camp there, get a couple goalie sessions because I'm, because I'm going to be going down to, to Detroit on uh, September 13th there. Um, for rookie tournament in, in Traverse City and, and uh, main camp on the 22nd. So just uh, going to be going to be busy here again in, in, a, in a month here. So, um, you know, looking forward to that. And then uh, like with Dog Canada, um, it was it was a good camp. Um, you know, it was a week long there. Um, you know, much different camp than, than what the U-17s was. Um, it was much more relaxed and and uh, which was nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, camp for them again um, in December will start on the 13th there. So got to have a good start to the season and, uh, you know, hopefully get invited there and, and uh, earn, a, earn a spot on the team there. Exciting times. I, I do got to ask one more because I, I feel like I, this is our host, Aaron Millard, is going to be laughing his ass off when he hears me go one more for the third time. But what was the biggest moment? Like, like I talked about the Osgood interview. You guys are talking about like, you know, Dominic Hasek with Chris Draper and Chris Osgood. You're drafted by Steve Eiserman. Like, have you had any like, holy crap moments? Or I, I, did I just list a bunch of them? Are there any other ones that jump out for you? Like you've signed with the Detroit Red Wings. Are there, there any other, like what, what part of that jumps out the most? Is there an experience in that process that's, that just kind of still leaves you shaking your head a little? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, obviously it's, uh, it's been a very exciting summer and, and so many, um, obviously one, one for her. Yeah. One time in a, in a life, uh, opportunities that happened. And I think honestly, yeah, just, just getting drafted. Um, you know, I think that's been the biggest goal in, in my career for forever. Um, you know, I think ever, every kid dreams about that. And, and, uh, at the end of the day, that was, uh, that was probably the most exciting I've, I've been, uh, you know, just hearing my name, getting, uh, getting called, especially there by uh by Eiserman there and, and you know the first goalie off the board I think uh you know draft night was definitely uh some just I obviously won't forget awesome stuff and Mooks one last one for you buddy um how do you set this up for him I mean that he just walked us through his schedule and I'm guess it's going to be an extra challenge for you too because you're going to lose this guy a couple different times you're going to lose him for for main main camp with the Red Wings for Traverse City which is like got to be kind of cool Sebastian like historic tournament like that and then also World Junior Championships. Like, how, I don't think people appreciate how much of a challenge that can be for, for a CHL or, you know, in some cases, NCAA organization to lose key players at that time of year. How do you as the goalie coach look for ways to sort of fill those gaps while he's gone? Yeah, no, I mean, it will be very challenging. I think two things for me, I think um, obviously when he's gone, uh, I'll still be with him. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll still just me just checking in, just make sure he's good. I, you know, I've a lot invested in this kid um, since he's 13 years old and I want him to, to be the best he can be. So if, you know, if I'm not even talking technical stuff, you just shoot me a quick text after the day or, uh, you know, how, how did it go? Was it good, bad? Any, and if I can be there, great. If it's 30 seconds, if it's 10 minutes, 
if it's an hour, he knows I'm always there. I'm one phone call away. That's the nice thing with the one nice thing with COVID is we're all, we're all, we're well more connected now with the zooms and all this stuff. Right. But on the oil King side, I, you know, it is tough. It opens up the door though, for, for other guys. I think our, uh, our scouts and management and the oil Kings done a great job. We have some really good goalie depth. Um, I couldn't be happier with that. So I, I, to me, that's exciting. I know the head coach <laughs> might not be as excited to lose all these guys, but I, you know, I'm going to get to see what Colby Knight, Colby Hay, Alex Worthington coming up. If we get him signed, like there's a lot of good goalies there. So it, uh, I'll get to see what they can do. And and there'll be a lot of young, young goalies that are really key, you know, keen and eager to, to have their time because it's well, the season last year is tough to get games <laughs> if you're not Sebastian Coast last year. So uh, it'll be, it'll be opening for some, somebody to step up and that's, uh, that's exciting for me. So it'll be tough, but it'll be good. Well, an exciting year coming up, uh, coming off of an incredibly exciting summer. Guys, I really appreciate you both taking the time to sort of share some behind the scenes looks and some great advice that I know a lot of the goalies listening are going to appreciate. So thanks so much for this. Congratulations to both of you. And I'm excited to see what follows and to follow the path, Sebastian, as you continue to move forward and to one day see you down here at Rogers Arena and just, you know, catch up at the rink uh, in a Detroit Red Wings uniform. I can't wait. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Uh, appreciate it, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. That was fast. That was fun. And that was honest. And when I say honest, uh, I go back to what Curtis was talking about and the idea that Sebastian sometimes is cool and casual and loose in the dressing room. And I, I was giggling when, when Curtis said that sometimes the coaches will say, Hey, he was, he was a little loose there because I've seen it. I've heard it, uh, from coaches before when goaltenders aren't that we always make fun of goaltenders being uh, so type a. And, uh, oh, they're weird, they're whatever. But when you get a goaltender that's loose and casual, coaches are almost fearful of it. And, uh, and, and they get out of their comfort zone. Like, you you got to be the – and I, I, I was just giggling at that part when, when the coaches would say, oh, see, I told you it was too loose. Uh, that, that made me chuckle a bit. That's a good lesson, actually. It's a really good lesson. Here's, here's a kid who's the first goalie selected in this draft, 15th overall. Detroit Red Wings trade up to get him. Sign him to a three-year contract right away. So clearly the kid can play. Yeah. And yet still, as recently as this past season, at the a level as high as the WHL, you would have coaches say he's too loose. It's a really good lesson for everyone at the younger levels to maybe chill out a little bit and not get too worked up about that kind of stuff. There isn't one way to prepare. Uh, and as long as you as long as they are prepared when the puck drops, that all that's all that matters. It doesn't have to look the same. Heck, we've seen it the other way, right? Like how many times, how many guys have we talked to on this podcast over the years? And it's been years now, where all those preparation things that I'm sure coaches love, the juggling, the focus, the eye stuff that we see pregame on on hockey night at the NHL level, where some guys struggle because it's too much and they're worn out. Like from Chris Osgood of an yeah. older generation talking about it to Thatcher Demko is a you know newer generation guy. Like sometimes too much is too much, and and sometimes just being able to have a coffee and be loose is uh, is more important. Couldn't agree more. I think if you if you see those things as I've got to do this, I've got to do that, checklist, all the things I need to do to prepare, you're probably over preparing. You're probably getting a little bit too tight. Although as you say, different strokes, everybody can do things different ways. I think if you take all those preparation routines and they become a way of relaxing, 
well, then maybe you can get ready. So do you go out in the hallway because I've got to juggle, I got to get my eye work in? Or is it, I just want to get my mind off the game and just not worry about things? Then this is my routine. So, um, absolutely. And I just loved listening to this one for, for that reason, amongst, amongst many others, guys. There's, there's many ways to prepare. Uh, and you don't always have to prepare the same way. But if you've got that routine that you can lean on one way or the other, maybe it's a day that you need to be looser. Maybe it's a day that you need a little more focus. Like, but but there's not you don't have to be the same way in, in that box uh, every, every time. And uh, and Curtis, uh, cool guy, like just a cool guy, and uh, and he's doing a, a great little uh, project here to give back. Yeah, I think so. Two things there. One, um, you know, I know Curtis has has been in the mix for a couple of uh, goalie development jobs with NHL teams and AHL teams. So good luck to him there. I think this interview shows you why when you when you hear from him and and the relationships he's built with with Sebastian and the approach. I think you have an understanding as to why uh, he's caught the attention of, of teams. So uh, and the second part is like I had no idea uh, when we recorded that he hadn't made this public and I had no idea what him him and his wife were going through, but. Uh, since then, and and before we recorded this, he he sent out on his social media, and it's at Curtis Muka GC, Curtis with a K, Muka is M U C H A on Twitter, his his Twitter account, uh, a message about his daughter Oakley, who was born with some some pretty serious health issues in January of 2021, um, some some four major heart defects, and had to have open heart surgery at the age of six months. Um, is potentially looking at another surgery. And so he's come up with a fundraiser, but not for him. The surgery went well. He doesn't, he's not looking for money for him or his daughter or anything like that. He wants to thank the hospital staff um, in Edmonton, uh, the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. And so he's come up with an idea. Uh, he's got a hat uh, with, with uh, his daughter Oakley's name on the front. It's a nice stylish looking hat. Um, and the fundraiser and Oakley's in a heart, like the, the name's inside a heart, uh, and the fundraiser is basically a $15 hat. That's what it's cost, but he's added a hundred dollars. So for $115, basically the hundred bucks, um, goes straight to, uh, the, the children's hospital foundation, the Stollery children's hospital foundation there in Edmonton. Um, he's going to match it. His family's going to match dollar for dollar right up to a maximum of $5,000. So. You know, here's a guy who, you know, not looking to offset his bills or all the trouble he's gone through. Uh, he wants to make sure he pays it forward and thanks the staff and 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 does something for the hospital foundation for other families that are, that have to go through this through something like this in the future. So uh, I loved it. I, I love the idea. I love the execution. Uh, if you're looking for a great looking hat and looking to help out there, make sure you check out uh, his his Twitter feed and DM him again. Curtis with a K. Muka M U C H A G C for goalie coach online, or just search Curtis Curtis Muka. We'll try and put something in the show notes too to help you find his Twitter account and help you help them raise some money uh, for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation in Edmonton. See, we we come up with saves in all different varieties on this podcast, don't we? Like that that's an impressive save percentage, though, is Stollery Hospital. Yeah, and uh, like I said, maybe we'll, we're, we're trying to come up with some ideas on ways that we can maybe add something, add a prize here. But this really did come to our attention as we sat down to record this. So mm-hmm. keep an eye on our social media too. We'll try and come up with something at Ingle to sort of help the cause as well. 
Awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, well done, Curtis. Uh, good luck to Sebastian. Looking forward to that journey. Uh, I just want to hear more about his conversation with with Ozzy uh, going through that process. Uh, that would have been cool. And uh, and thanks to you, Hutch, for keeping this all together. We don't give you enough credit. Uh, big big backslap to Hutch uh, for for keeping us on the rails over the course of uh, this project uh, over at Ingold Magazine and Ingold Radio, the podcast. Uh, so I I think you deserve all the accolades. That you uh, that you get through us, which is few and far not between. Much. We should not do many. It more often. Yeah, that's what I deserve. Is not many. What I get. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Couldn't do it without you, boys. It's, yeah. it's a fun journey. Uh, Hutch is our king. Uh, the king in the National Hockey League is uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, hanging them up. Uh, what a marvelous uh, run! And uh, just doing it and innovative and and making the saves and winning Olympic championships and being a Hall of Famer. And then, of course, uh, we've got uh, Woody, who's uh, riding the board out in Tofino and making things happen on that regard. Get home safe, pal. Uh, make sure you catch all the big waves, but uh, be careful while you're doing it. Uh, the big waves tend to result in me being a pile of, yeah, it's not pretty, but I'll catch as many little ones as I can for you guys. Hey, you yeah. can probably get a haircut on your way through Nanaimo, too. There's lots of great places here in town. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Listen, the hair... This is, I'm in my element here. I'm in like, I am like in surf town, hippieville, Tofino. Uh, I, this is the first time, like I've been here for a day and nobody's told me to get a haircut. I'm loving this. I may not come home, boys. I'm thinking in the spirit of Curtis Muka, maybe we can do something to, to fundraise uh, by shaving uh, or trimming Woody's head. Shaving. Like if we, shaving. the more money I mean, we raise, we go from a five clipper to a four, and the more money we raise, we go to a two. Oh, I and like it. A one. I like it. <laughs> I, there, there might be something there. Give us some feedback. Uh, Woody, Woody, can uh, you get your wife on here, and we'll see how much she'd donate to get your hair shaved? Uh, I don't know how much my wife would donate to if we did a fundraiser to get my hair cut, but I think her and my mother-in-law would donate an excessive amount to <laughs> yes. see that up. Uh, uh, wives always go with the silent game. Can we, can we just play the silent game? Uh, I'll, I'll pay money for that one. Uh, thanks to uh, everybody for listening to. And uh, if you've got some ideas uh, for uh, giving Woody a good, uh, good little cleanup uh, with the hair, uh, let us know uh, because uh, we're always excited to hear from you. And uh, Hutch does a great job sharing those. And we love the feedback and the, the little stories uh, from the goaltending world. Uh, congratulations, Hank. Uh, good luck to Sebastian. And uh, thanks for listening. New sets, new masks, all coming out uh, to be unveiled in the next couple of weeks. So we're watching that on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Mm-hmm.